إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So we're on the final section of Lum'atul I'atiqad and it's the section where the author talks about the companions and we discussed the definition of who a companion is last time here the author he says وَمِنَ السُنَّةِ تَوَلِّي أَصْحَابِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ وَمَحَبَّتُهُمْ وَذِكْرُ مَحَاسِنِهِمْ وَالتَّرَحُمُ عَلَيْهِمْ وَالْإِسْتِغْفَارُ لَهُمْ وَالْكَفُّ عَنْ ذِكْرِ مَسَاوِئِهِمْ وَمَا شَجَرَ بَيْنَهُمْ وَاعْتِقَادُ فَضْلِهِمْ وَمَعْرِفَةُ سَابِقَتِهِمْ قال الله تعالى والذين جاءوا من بعدهم يقولون ربنا اغفر لنا ولإخواننا الذين سبقونا بالإيمان ولا تجعل في قلوبنا غلا للذين آمنوا That from the sunnah it is from the sunnah that we have the allegiance and we have the support and the defense of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, and that we love them, and that we mention their goodness, and we ask Allah to have mercy upon them, and we ask Allah to forgive them, and we do not mention any ill-related affairs regarding them, or any of the affairs that may have occurred between them. We don't delve into that, and we don't start mentioning those affairs and we believe in their virtue, and we understand how they have preceded us, and the virtue they have over us. Sheikh Zaid, rahimahullah, says, هذه الجمل تدل على أن أولى المؤمنين بالمحبة والموالات لهم هم أصحاب النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم. These sections now, these sentences, they indicate to us that the best of the believers who are deserving of our love and our allegiance and our defense of them are the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. And that is because of the great number of virtues that have been mentioned about the companions. And because they preceded all of us in Islam, they were the first of the ones of this ummah who entered into Islam, those companions from the early days. And because they had that great virtue of accompanying the Prophet ﷺ, and because of their defense of the sunnah, and because of their protection and preservation of the sunnah, the Sahaba, they strove to defend and to preserve this sunnah. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ اصْطَفَاهُمْ عَلَى النَّاسِ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose them over all of the people, selected them to be the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
وَكَفَاهُمْ بِذَلِكَ شَرَفًا And that in of itself is sufficient as a great honor that they are the ones who were chosen to be from the companions of the Prophet ﷺ to be the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. So there are many ayat in the Qur'an that speak about the virtues of the companions and how they preceded us in Islam and how they guarded and preserved and defended the Qur'an and the Sunnah, this religion. They defended the Prophet ﷺ. They faced all of those great trials. They faced all of those great difficulties that those Muslims faced in those early times. And therefore, we understand that it is not from the way of Ahlul Sunnah at all to speak bad about the companions or to mention deficiencies of the companions, to speak ill of the companions. It is not the way of Ahlul Sunnah to do that whatsoever. It is the way of Ahlul Bid'ah, the people of innovation, Ahlul Ahwa. They are the ones who speak ill of the companions and try to find fault with the companions. The Prophet ﷺ said, لَا تَصُبُّوا أَصْحَابِي Do not curse my companions. فَوَالَّذِي نَفْسِي بِيَدِهِ لَوْ أَنْفَقَ أَحَدُكُمْ مِثْلَ أُحُدٍ ذَهَبًا مَا بَلَغَ مُدَّ أَحَدِهِمْ وَلَا نَصِيفًا مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, Do not abuse, do not curse my companions. For indeed, by the one whom my soul is in his hand, if one of you was to spend to the equivalent of Mount Uhud in gold, to the equivalent of Mount Uhud in gold, that act of yours, that obedience of yours, it still wouldn't even come close to a handful or half a handful of what the companions gave. Such was their virtue. You could give gold to the amount of Mount Uhud and you wouldn't be comparable to what the companions did. You wouldn't be comparable to the deeds and the virtues of the companions even if you gave in charity gold to the amount of Mount Uhud. And that would be certainly a great amount of gold. In the prices of today, that would be millions and millions of pounds. You give millions of pounds in charity and you are not comparable to what the companions did. Even a handful of charity they gave is superior due to their great virtue and what they were upon and what they did. وَبِهَذَا تَبَيَّنَ أَوْ يَتَبَيَّنْ مَنْهَجْ أَهْلِ السُّنَّةِ فِي الصَّحَابَةِ وَأَنَّهُ وَسَطٌ بَيْنَ الْإِفْرَاطِ وَالتَّفْرِيطِ It then becomes clear to you that the methodology of Ahlul Sunnah regarding the companions is a balanced methodology upon the middle path. Neither is it filled with any extremism to one side, Neither is it filled with shortcoming to the other side, 
Rather, the way of Ahlul Sunnah is always upon that middle path. So we love the companions. We love the companions on the whole. We have that love for them and we have that allegiance for them. However, we do not go into exaggeration or excessiveness regarding them. And we do not raise them above their level and neither do we fall short in our respect and love for them. As for the people of innovation, that's exactly what they did. They went into exaggeration and extremism one side or another. So you see some of them with extreme exaggeration to the family of the Prophet ﷺ raising them. You see some of them with extreme exaggeration in Ali ibn Abi Talib anhu raising him to the level of Allah, to Uluhiyyah. And you see others with extreme exaggeration on the other side, declaring all of the companions except a handful to be kuffar and apostates. So all of this is from the exaggeration of the people of innovation. As for Ahlul Sunnah, then we do not have that exaggeration and extremism, neither one side nor the other. Then the author says, وَمِنَ السُّنَّةِ التَّرَضِّي عَنْ أَزْوَاجِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أُمَّهَاتِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ الْمُطَهَّرَاتِ الْمُبَرَّآتِ مِنْ كُلِّ سُوءٍ أَفْضَلُهُنَّ خَدِيجَةُ بِنْتُ خُوَيْلِتِ وَعَائِشَةُ الصِّدِّيقَةِ بِنْتُ الصِّدِّيقِ الَّتِي بَرَّأَهَا اللَّهُ فِي كِتَابِهِ زَوْجُ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ فَمَنْ قَذَفَهَا بِمَا بَرَّأَهَا اللَّهُ بِهِ فَقَدْ كَفَرَ بِاللَّهِ الْعَظِيمِ Also, from the sunnah is that we do the taraddi upon the wives of the Prophet ﷺ to all of the companions on the whole, we spoke about their virtues and our love for them, etc. Now the author talks about the wives of the Prophet ﷺ in particular here. They are the mothers of the believers, the pure mothers of the believers, innocent of any type of wrongdoing. And the best of them is Khadija and Aisha radiyallahu anhuma. So we say radiyallahu anhunna. Radiyallahu anhum, upon the companions. We say that and we make that dua for them, including the wives of the Prophet sallallahu anhunna. May Allah be pleased with them. So they are the pure and pious wives of the Prophet sallallahu The best of them is Khadija and Aisha radiyallahu anhuma. Who is the best between those two though? Who is the best between Aisha radiallahu anha and Khadija bint Khawalid radiallahu anha? Aisha? Khadija? It is a difference of opinion amongst the scholars. Who is more virtuous? Is it Khadija radiallahu anha? Or is it Aisha radiallahu anha? And some of the scholars they mentioned, like Ibn Qayyim mentioned, quoting from Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, that both of them have great virtues, no doubt. But they have different virtues to each other. Aisha radiallahu anha has particular virtues. 
And Khadija radiallahu anha has her particular virtues. So from the particular virtues, the specific virtues that Khadija radiallahu anha has, that she was from the first of the women to, to embrace Islam, she was the first wife of the Prophet first of the believers from the women, the first of the wives of the Prophet and the Prophet never married any other wife whilst she was alive. Only after she died, he married the other wives. So he never married anybody else alongside her. That's a virtue for Khadija radiallahu anha. She was the first of the women to embrace Islam. She was the first of the wives of the Prophet She is the one who comforted the Prophet ﷺ in those early days when the revelation began and when the difficulties began. She was the one supporting him. So she has all of those virtues at the beginning of Islam. Aisha radiallahu anha has different types of virtues. She was the most beloved to the Prophet ﷺ from the women. And she has the great virtue in terms of knowledge. Some of the scholars said she was the most knowledgeable woman. She memorized all of those ahadith from the Prophet ﷺ. And that's why the scholars say this is from the great wisdom. She was young when she married the Prophet ﷺ. So from that young age, she memorized so many narrations and ahadith. Even some of the men companions used to go and ask her questions. They used to send their questions to her, to Aisha radiallahu anha. Some of the male companions, they used to send their questions to her. To Aisha radiallahu anha to be answered. Such was her knowledge. She was recognized as one of the great female scholars of that time. Her knowledge was tremendous. And so she has virtues in that type of regard. So both of them, they have different types of virtues. And it's a difference between who is the most overall. But no doubt Aisha and Khadija and Fatima. All of these are great women radiallahu anhunna. And it is upon the women of our time to attempt to emulate and to be like these great women, these great female companions, like Khadija and Aisha and Fatima radiallahu anhunna. So these are the uh, wives of the Prophet sallallahu uh, and the mentioning of them with good and mentioning them with Allah being pleased upon them, making the dua upon them radiallahu anhunna. And they are also from those whom we love. They are the mothers of the believers. The mothers of the believers. And these are the best of them. Aisha and Khadija radiallahu anhunna. Then the author says, وَمُعَاوِيَةَ خَالُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَكَاتِبُ وَحِيِ أَحَدُ خُلَفَاءِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ Then he mentions Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan. Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan. And he became Muslim in the year of the conquering of Mecca, which was 8th Hijri. And اِجْتَمَعَ النَّاسُ عَلَيْهِ بَعْدَ تَنَازُلْ الْحَسَنِ ibn Ali. When Al-Hasan ibn Ali stepped down, then all of the people, they congregated around Muawiyah. And he is mentioned as the uncle of the believers. That is how the author mentions in Muawiyah, the khal of the believers, the uncle of the believers. So he became the leader at that time, and he was the one who was obeyed to hear and to obey him. And then nobody opposed him thereafter, and there were companions of the Prophet ﷺ amongst them, nobody opposed that afterwards. 
once he became the Amir and everybody congregated around him. He was one of the scribes of the Prophet He was one of the scribes of the Prophet He used to write down the revelation that came, the hadith, etc. And the author mentioned him in particular here as a refutation of who? The Shia. He has mentioned him here and mentioned him as being the uncle of all of the believers as a veneration and a respect of him in refutation of all of those rawafid and their likes who uh, uh, speak ill of him and they speak bad of him and they speak ill of the other companions of course. So this is in defense of him against the rafida and their likes. Then he goes on to say, وَمِنَ السُنَّةِ أَسَّمْعُ وَالطَّاعَةِ لِأَئِمَّةِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ And from the sunnah is to hear and to obey the leaders of the Muslims. وَأَبَرِّهِمْ وَثَاجِرِهِمْ Whether they are pious or not. To hear and to obey the rulers of the Muslims. Whether they are pious or not, مَا لَمْ يَأْمُرُوا بِمَعْصِيَةِ اللَّهِ As long as they do not command you to disobey Allah. Hear and obey the rulers in everything. Unless it is something which they are commanding you to do that is against the revelation, against the Qur'an and the Sunnah. In that case, no. فَإِنَّهُ لَا طَاعَةَ لِأَحَدٍ فِي مَعْصِيَةِ اللَّهِ Because there is no obedience to anybody if it means you're going to have to disobey Allah. You cannot obey anybody at the expense of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the obedience to Allah. So if obeying, if obeying somebody else in what they tell you to do, you will be disobeying Allah, then you cannot obey that person. That person tells you to obey them in something, but if you do that thing, it's going to be disobedience to Allah, then you can't obey them. But everything else, you obey the rulers in. وَمَنْ وَلِيَ الْخِلَافَ وَاجْتَمَعَ عَلَيْهِ النَّاسِ وَرَضُوا بِهِ And whomsoever takes that khilafah and the people they unite upon him and they are pleased with him أَوْ غَلَبَهُمْ بِسَيْفِهِ حَتَّى صَارَ الْخَلِيفَةِ Or he overcomes them physically and takes power وَسُمِّيَ أَمِيرَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ And he becomes known as Amir al-Mu'mineen وَجَبَتْ طَاعَتُهُ Then it is obligatory to obey him وَحَرُمَتْ مُخَالَفَتُهُ وَالْخُرُوجُ عَلَيْهِ وَشَقُّ عَصَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ And it is impermissible to oppose him and to go out and rebel against him and to split up the Muslims. Here then we learn about this principle of Ahl sunnah regarding hearing and obeying the rulers. Hearing and obeying the rulers. As-sam'u wa to hear and to obey. And this is mentioned in many narrations of the sunnah. Where the Prophet ﷺ informed us to hear and obey. And not to rebel and to make uh, protests and rebellions. And all types of demonstrations against the rulers. And all the chaos which happens. That is not from the sunnah. Rather to hear and to obey and to make dua for the ruler. The Muslim ruler make dua for him that Allah rectifies him. One of the Salaf used to say that if I had one dua which was definitely going to be answered, then I would make it for the ruler. I would make that one dua for the ruler. 
Because if Allah rectifies the ruler and makes him good, then all of the country will be rectified and made good. That is from the fiqh of the salaf, the clever understanding of the salaf. He said, if I had one dua that was definitely going to be answered, wouldn't make it for myself or my family, I'd make it for the ruler. Because if Allah makes him good, then all of us will be good under him. So to hear and to obey the rulers is one of the key factors. One of the key points of the understanding and the aqidah of Ahlul Sunnah. How does a ruler gain authority, Islamically speaking? There are three main ways. There are three main ways that a ruler can obtain authority, Islamically speaking. One is that the previous ruler appoints the next ruler. The previous Amir al-Mu'mineen in charge appoints who he wants to be the next ruler. Appoints somebody, makes the decision on appointing someone. So after his death, that person is given the authority, he's the Amir. That is one way. Another way is through consultation of the people of authority upon a choice that the previous Amir leaves behind. So the previous Amir may say, these six, one of them choose him to be the Amir after me. So then the people of authority and status, they choose, they make a shura, from that shura they choose one person. There is another way also. What is the other way that somebody can become the Amir? In fact, if we give some examples. So if the previous Khalifa tells you, that is the man to be the next Khalifa. That is one way we just said. What's an example of that? Abu Bakr. كَمَا نَصَّ أَبُو بَكَرْ عَلَى عُمَرَ بْنَ الْخَطَّابِ Abu Bakr made it clear to them, Umar ibn al-Khattab needs to be the next Khalifa. The second type is, when the people all come together of authority, and they choose between some of the members, or some of the people who have been nominated, maybe by the previous Khalifa, to have one of these people to be your Amir next. So the people of authority, the people of respect and knowledge and scholars, they come together and from those they choose one. Example of that? Uthman. Kama fi khilafati Uthman and Ali. So in those cases it was a choice. Uthman, when he was chosen, it was a choice between him and several others. And then Uthman was chosen. Radiallahu anhu. The third way is what? He takes it by force. If somebody comes along and takes the authority by force takes the authority by force like what you call these days a coup they come and do a coup they come and by force they take control of everything they take control of the government and the army everything and the previous ruler is overthrown and they've taken control of the whole land and they've got power everywhere now that person is now the Amir He's taken control, he's taken power, he's crushed everything else, he has taken authority over the government, the army, the land, everything, he has taken power. He is the Amir now. It is not upon you 
to start saying, let's go rebel against him now, let's go rebel against that, rebel against this. It's not like that. If somebody comes and he does that, he's got the ability, he's done it, he's taken control, he's taken power, he's removed the previous government and leadership and he's taken it all for himself with power, with strength and nobody's been able to stop him. The previous leader has not been able to stop him. He's come and he's overwhelmed everyone and taken it. He's taken it now, he's taken control, he's taken authority, all of the land, he's got control. He is now considered the Amir. He is now considered the leader in charge. And it is not then permissible to start rebelling again and again. Yes, he in the first place shouldn't have rebelled. But the fact that he done it now, he had that power, he had the ability, he's gone and done it. He's taken control. It's happened. Happened what happened. That's happened now. Now the sunnah says, you don't just make this into a chain effect. You don't just start saying, well, okay, let's rebel against him and take it back. Then what's going to happen after that? He rebels back and you, then that's it. Civil war forever. So it doesn't work like that. If it's happened, it's happened. He's taken it all. He's got authority. He's got the power. He's taken control of everything. Then you leave it at that. It's happened. He's taken the authority. He's taken it. You weren't able to stop him. You weren't able to stop him. So now don't try and come together afterwards and we're going to make an army and rebel and whatever. You couldn't stop him. He took power. He took authority. He's taken it. That is his authority now because that is the way to reduce the harm. You're reducing the harm. You're reducing the fitna. You're reducing the bloodshed. You're reducing the chaos. He has taken the authority and that is what the sunnah says now. It is his authority. And that has occurred throughout history. That has occurred. There are examples when that has occurred. But when it does occur like that, then yes, he is the ruler now. He is the legitimate Islamic ruler. And it's not upon you to start rebelling now and revolting and saying this or that. So that is one of the methods that Islamically a person could end up being given the authority. If he went and did that and took control. Just because a ruler is evil doesn't mean that you rebel against them. As long as that ruler is not outside of the fold of Islam and is not... uh, making enforced upon you opposition to the Qur'an and the Sunnah, he is not showing any clear kufr, then you don't just rebel. The Prophet ﷺ said that there will be rulers who come, they will have the hearts of shayateen in the bodies of men. They will beat your back and take your wealth. They will be evil rulers. But here in Abay, Unless they are kuffar and they are apostated and they're showing something of those natures. Otherwise, even if they are oppressive, they are Muslim. Even if they are oppressive, it is not upon you to go and rebel and revolt. So this is a great mistake from the Ikhwan al-Muslimin that they have spread amongst the people. The minute one of the Muslim rulers does something wrong, everybody together now, let's rebel, let's revolt, let's go oust him, let's go do this, do that. All of that is incorrect and it is not the way of Ahl Sunnah. Then he goes on to say, وَمِنَ السُنَّةِ هُجْرَانُ أَهْلِ الْبِدَعِ وَمُبَايَنَتُهُمْ From the sunnah to abandon the people of innovation and to split yourself away from them and keep yourself away from them. وَتَرْكُ الْجِدَالِ وَالْخُصُومَاتِ فِي الدِّينِ And to abandon disputation and argumentation in religion. وَتَرْكُ النَّظَرِ فِي كُتُبِ الْمُبْتَدِعَةِ And to stop looking at the books of the people of innovation. Stop looking into their materials and into their books. وَالْإِصْغَاءِ إِلَى كَلَامِهِمْ And stop listening to them. 
And this is very important. Because that is something very many people fall into. Especially nowadays with all of the YouTube and everything else. A person says, just out of interest, I want to hear what this Sufi is saying. Just out of interest, let me see what they're saying. Let me see what this idiot is saying. That's what they say. And then you start listening and you start listening. And all of a sudden you don't even know how to differentiate between the truth and falsehood. You don't even know if the narrations he's quoting are authentic or not. You don't even know. And so you start falling into misguidance yourself. You do not listen to the people of innovation. None of this, let me just listen out of curiosity. Let me just watch this video, this clip out of curiosity. You do not listen to the people of innovation. You do not give your ear to them. You do not give your eye to them. You do not go onto their websites and onto their fatwa channels. You do not give any eye, any ear, any thought, any mind to the people of innovation and their works and their books and their YouTubes and whatever else. This is what the author is saying. And this author wrote this book hundreds of years ago. Hundreds of years ago is telling you the aqidah of Ahl sunnah the way of Ahl sunnah is that you don't give your ear to the people of innovation, you don't give your eyes to the people of innovation, you don't read their books and whatever else, you don't listen to their audios and their lectures, you don't give your mind to them at all, you do not give your time to them at all. You completely keep yourself away from their materials and their books and their YouTubes and their videos and whatever. None of this let me listen or let me have a quick look out of interest. A person becomes misguided in that way. Sheikh Rabia, he said, there are people we used to know, people we used to know from the virtuous people, and they went off saying, let me just mix with some of these people and give them advice and do this and do that, from the people of innovation, and eventually they ended up with them. They end up with them, because you can no longer differentiate between truth and falsehood, and you do not have knowledge to be able to differentiate between truth and falsehood. So here the author says, from our belief is we stay away from that and do not give any eye, no ear, to their works. وَكُلُّ مُحْدَثَةٍ فِي الدِّينِ بِدْعَةٍ And every newly invented matter, all these innovations of theirs, they are in this religion considered as innovations. وَكُلُّ مُتَسَمِّنْ بِغَيْرِ الْإِسْلَامُ وَالسُنَّةِ مُبْتَدِعْ كَالْرَافِضَ وَالْجَهْمِيَّ وَالْخَوَارِجُ الْقَدَرِيَّ وَالْمُرْجِعُ وَالْمَعْتَزِلَ وَالْكَرَّامِيَّ وَالْكُلَّابِيَّ وَنَظَائِرُهُمْ فَهَذِهِ فَرَقُ الضَّلَالُ وَطَوَائِفُ الْبِدَعِ أَعَاذَنَ اللَّهُ مِنْهَا Then he says, all of these other people who have been given names, identifying them, that are not names of Islam and Sunnah, they are all innovators. So when you hear names like the Rafida, like the Jahmiya, like the Khawarij, like the Qadariya, the Murji'a, the Mu'tazila, the Karramiya, the Kullabiya, all of these names of theirs identifies to you they are people of innovation. Whereas the name of Ahlul Sunnah is, look, exactly to the Sunnah. Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Whereas these people with all of their names are upon their deviations and innovations and their leaders. So all of these are groups of misguidance, sects of misguidance. وَطَوَائِفُ الْبِدَعْ And groups of innovation. May Allah protect us from them. Then he says, وَكُلُّ بِدْعَةٍ فِي الدِّينِ مِنْ أَيِّ نَوْعٍ كَانَتْ فَهِيَ مُحَرَّمَ وَضَلَالًا Every type of innovation in the religion, no matter what type it is, it is misguidance and haram. Due to the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, 
And be warned from the newly invented matters. For indeed every newly invented matter is an innovation. And every innovation is a misguidance. And in some narrations it mentions every misguidance is in the fire. Also in the hadith, مَنْ أَحْدَثَ فِي أَمْرِنَا هَذَا مَا لَيْسَ مِنْهُ فَهُوَ رَدَّ Whoever innovates into our religion something which is not from it, then it will be rejected. وَمَنْ عَمِلَ عَمَلًا لَيْسَ عَلَيْهِ أَمْرُنَا فَهُوَ رَدَّ And whoever does an action which is not from the actions of our religion, then it will be rejected. So all innovations are rejected. There is no such thing as good innovation. Any innovation is bringing about something new into the religion is haram and prohibited. Haram and prohibited. So there are certain innovations a person may fall into them. And they may be small, he thinks. But as Imam al-Barbahari mentioned in Sharh sunnah even those small innovations, be wary of them. Because the small innovations... They slowly build up and they build up and they build up until they become large innovations and you can't get yourself out of them anymore. So be warned from every type of innovation. Don't just say that's just something minor. So what if they're doing that? That's not a big deal. Anything which opposes the Qur'an and the Sunnah, they are making any type of worship in opposition to what is in the revelation, no matter how insignificant and small you may think it is, then it is an innovation nevertheless. And every innovation is a misguidance. And these innovations may begin small, but they grow on you and grow on you until you become encompassed and engulfed in them. And you can no longer get yourself out of them. So be warned from all of those types of innovations, anything which is introduced into the religion. Then he also mentioned here that the manhaj of the Salaf is that we do not go and start debating and arguing with the people of innovation. It is not from our methodology to debate and to argue and to get into those types of affairs with the people of innovation. أَمَّا إِذَا كَانَ الْغَرَضْ مِنَ الْخِصَامِ وَالْجِدَالِ إِثْبَاتُ الْحَقِّ وَإِبْطَالُ الْبَاطِلِ فَهَذَا مَأْمُورٌ بِهِ However, if a person has knowledge and so he rebukes the people of innovation and debates them uh, over their articles and whatever and writes refutations against them that type of interchange that type of uh, conversation that may occur between them for the establishment of their truth and the refutation of that falsehood of theirs for a person of knowledge he may do that but as for a person generally going and arguing and debating and getting into these types of affairs with the people of innovation the hizbiyun etc then it is not correct for you to do that and that is another great mistake many people fall into they think that maybe they have some knowledge. They think they have something in them. So they go and they start debating with somebody, some Sufi, somebody else, some Khariji, some Takfiri, some Rafidi, some Ikhwani. And maybe they become overwhelmed. And they will become overwhelmed. Because you don't know the evidences and you don't know the proofs. And that's why Sheikh Rabia, Sheikh Zaid, all of the scholars, they said it is not upon you to go and start debating. It is not upon you to go and start debating with the people of innovation and deviance. 
That is why you see the foolishness of Abdurrahman Hassan and these people. They think they are according to Salafiya and they are upon absolute foolishness and their methodology is not the methodology the scholars, the Salafi scholars have taught. And it is no wonder when they have been taught by individuals who themselves are deviants, the likes of Abu Ishaq al-Hawaini and others, it is no doubt that they are upon this deviated type of methodology from the methodology of the Salaf in various affairs. So all of these groups that he mentioned here, the Rafida, the Jahmiya, the followers of Jahm ibn Safwan, the Khawarij, those who went out against Ali ibn Abi Talib originally, the Qadariya, who are they? Those who deny the decree and the extreme ones even used to say Allah doesn't know what's going to happen until it actually happens. So that is from the this, uh, deviances of the Qadariya. The Murjia. Those who separate actions from Iman, so they say no matter what you do, it does not harm your Iman. Whatever sin you commit, it won't harm your Iman. Mu'tazila, followers of Wasil ibn Ata'. They are followers of Wasil ibn Ata'. And they have various deviances in Aqidah, in names and attributes, etc. Karamiya, also followers of Muhammad uh, ibn Karam. Again, uh, they have deviances in names and attributes. Kullabiyya, the followers of Abdullah uh, ibn Sa'id ibn Kullab al-Basri. And they are also from the people of philosophy when it comes to names and attributes. All of these are various different parties and sects who have deviated away from the methodology of Ahlul Sunnah. Then the author says right at the end. He mentions... أَمَّا بِنِسْبَ إِلَىٰ إِمَامٍ فِي فُرُوعِ الدِّينِ كَالطَّوَائِفِ الْأَرْبَعِ فَلَيْسَ بِمَذْمُومِ فَإِنَّ الْإِخْتِلَافِ فِي الْفُرُوعِ رَحْمَةِ وَالْمُخْتَلِفُونَ فِيهِ مَحْمُودُونَ فِي اخْتِلَافِهِمْ مُثَابُونَ فِي اشْتِهَادِهِمْ وَاخْتِلَافُهُمْ رَحْمَةِ وَاسِعَةِ وَاتِّفَاقُهُمْ حُجَّ قَاطِعَة he talks about differences because he's now just mentioned all of these different groups. Their differences to Ahlul Sunnah were differences on Aqeedah. Their differences to Ahlul Sunnah were differences on Aqeedah. And they are all deviated. There is no other difference in Aqeedah, one Aqeedah. But then he goes on just to highlight in case anybody gets confused that differences in other things besides Aqeedah, like fiqh issues, those types of differences, that doesn't necessitate or dictate a person's a mubtadiyah, etc. So he gives the example about the madhahib, the Hanbali madhab, the Maliki madhab, the Shafi'i madhab, Hanafi madhab. People who claim to follow a particular madhab, that doesn't dictate that they're an innovator. Somebody says, I'm Shafi'i. That, okay, we know it's not really right for you to just follow a madhab blindly, but that doesn't mean instantly, okay, this person's a mubtadiyah. No. On those types of issues and those schools of thought, those differences that occurred between Malik and Shafi'i and Ahmed and Abu Hanifa in their thoughts and their ijtihad, that doesn't make you an innovator, that doesn't take you out of the fold of Ahlul Sunnah. Those are secondary issues, issues in fiqh, etc. That is different. These people, all these groups, it wasn't about fiqh issues, it was issues of aqidah, of belief, of sunnah. 
They opposed Ahl Sunnah in serious issues of Aqidah. Whereas these schools of thought, etc., are on topics of fiqh and ishtihad. That is a different issue. Um, so there are differences here. They occurred about tahara, about salah, about hajj, and other issues like that. And it was not issues of aqidah. It was not issues of aqidah where this differing occurred. So these imams, for example, Ahmed ibn Hanbal, Malik, Shafi'i, Abu Hanifa, their ishtihad and their understandings, their schools of thought, as you say, they remain to this day. And they all made great ishtihad in their affairs. And they, inshallah, are within the narration of the Prophet ﷺ that when a mujtahid makes an ishtihad and gets it right, he gets two rewards. But if he makes a mistake, he'll get one reward still. So this is a different affair. That doesn't mean that you blindly follow a madhab. We've explained that before. It is not upon you to blindly follow a madhab. Rather, you follow exactly the sunnah. All of the imams, they had things which were right and all of them had things which were wrong. So you don't just blindly follow one madhab and do all of the wrong things too. Rather, you follow the sunnah wherever it is and that is what all of the imams said themselves. All of the imams said, as we did when we did Kitab al-Tawheed, Every one of these four imams said, if you ever find anything that I say goes against an authentic narration you come across, then forget about what I said, follow the hadith. All of them said that. So why does nobody follow that? Everybody blindly follows the madhab and doesn't take into consideration what every one of those imams said. That if you ever come across something I've said, which goes against some sunnah that you've come across, forget what I said, follow the sunnah. But the people nowadays, no, no, I have to stick to the madhab. I have to stick to the madhab. Even though the imam of the madhab said, don't do it. The imam of the madhab said, if the sunnah, you find something goes against what I said, forget what I said. Imam Shafi'i said, if, you, if that happens, get what I said and just throw it on the wall. Get rid of it. Follow the sunnah. But what do they say? No, no, we are Shafi'i, we're going to stick to what he said. Even if it opposes something in the sunnah you find. So that is a mistake. You don't blindly follow the madhahib. Rather, these are great scholars and you take from them, but you don't blindly follow in any particular madhab. So that was the final point that he mentions. He says, <laughs> We ask Allah that He protects us from innovations and trials. And that He uh, causes us to live upon Islam and Sunnah. يَجْعَلَنَا مِمَّنْ يَتَّبِعُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ فِي الْحَيَاةِ And that he makes us from those who follow the Prophet ﷺ in this life. وَيَحْشُرَنَا فِي زُمْرَاتِهِ بَعَدَ الْمَمَاتِ And that he resurrects us in the congregation with the Prophet ﷺ بِرَحْمَتِهِ وَفَضْلِهِ With his mercy and his virtue upon us. وَهَذَا آخِرُ الْمُعْتَقَدِ And this is the end of this عَقِيدَةِ وَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ وَحْدَةِ وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه وسلم تسليما. So that brings us to the end of Lum'atul I'tiqad, uh, this particular book in Aqidah. And we've gone over those main points now, the Quran, the Sahaba, etc. We went through those areas in Aqidah over the last 20, 30 lessons, whatever it's been now. So that is the conclusion of that book, Alhamdulillah. And inshallah ta'ala, Next week will be a general lecture, a one-off general lecture. So it's good to try and bring friends, family, different people to that type of open lecture. We're just going to do like an open lecture next week. So good to bring all of your friends, family, as many people as you can for da'wah. 
We'll keep it an open lecture. We'll do question and answers. So it's uh, welcoming to all of the new faces and people. So try and encourage all of your friends and family for next week particularly.